0: Welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. I am your host, Diogène Cura. On this show, you will discover the realities, the successes and the struggles of business management and information technology consultants in the fast-moving B2B world. So stay tuned if you want to know more about what it takes to have a consulting lifestyle. My guest today is Alan Lanzaros. Alan is a peak performance coach as well as a business owner and a uh, another fellow podcaster and uh, the name of his podcast is uh, hyperconscious and frankly the, in this interview you will notice why uh, he is hyperconscious and also why he is a peak performer uh, I have rarely had a conversation with someone that has has much clarity and knowledge uh, as him, and um, in this conversation you will hear about his uh, his personal story, how he came to um, to do the business that uh, that he is doing right now, and uh, how he uh, fosters change for uh, for his clients so uh, it's it's an amazing interview. Uh, please uh, listen to it because uh, you will have a lot of things uh, that you will uh, that you will get out of it. so uh, enjoy and uh, listen to the episode hello and uh, welcome to the consulting lifestyle podcast to alan lazarus alan how are you
1: i am doing awesome i'm happy to be here
0: yeah, thank you, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on, Alan. Uh, you're a dynamic and young uh, and young entrepreneur, and um, I think the audience will uh, will get uh, a, a lot of nuggets uh, from you. Uh, but uh, first, can you uh, start by introduce yourself and uh, share with us uh, your uh, your story?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, from a very very young age, I was fortunate enough. I was unfortunate and fortunate. So, when I was two years old, my father passed away in a car accident. So I always say that I lost something very near and dear to my heart from a very young age, but I did gain something else. And I was raised by two mothers. So I had an older sister and I kind of, you know, refer to her as my second mom. And then I had my mom who they both kind of raised me. And so that ended up being a pretty great advantage later in life because they were very connection and love driven. And I was a natural masculine energy who was very results driven. And so it helped me balance out. But from a very young age, my mom always taught me that life is about choices. And she used to use these great analogies about like, if you shoot really high and you want to be a CEO, then you suddenly wake up. She said, I'm going to basically love you either way. You can be a CEO or a farmer. But if you shoot high and you're a CEO, you can wake up and do whatever you want. And I'm still going to love you. But it's very difficult to go from the bottom straight to the top. And so she said, aim high and then you'll have choices. And I kind of lived my life by that for such a long time. And I remember we were driving and I was probably like eight or nine. And my uncle was the track and field coach for a college called WPI. And for those of you who don't know, WPI is a technical institution uh, in Massachusetts, Worcester, Mass. And it's kind of like a mini MIT. So, you know, people that are really, really good at math and science tend to go there. It's an engineering school, like something like 90% engineers, at least in the undergraduate. So I did really, really well in high school. Uh, always was drawn to mathematics, and I thought to myself, Okay, I want choices which finances will provide, and i 'm really good at math, so why not be an engineer right So I go into engineering uh, I have a really good time at that school, but I have a hard time in academics because it 's such a hard school, but I do eventually persevere and graduate with distinction, actually high distinction, which was really cool. went into the workforce, worked as an engineer, worked as a product um, product engineer. Electrical engineer, all these different engineering degrees, realized very quickly that sitting behind a desk and designing circuits and/or software, because I went down the software route, uh, route was not necessarily my strength zone. Because my strength zone has always been communicating with people, which is actually what I do now. And so, what's interesting though is that I went back for my MBA because I thought to myself, okay, I'm good at mathematics, I'm good at engineering, I did that, that's great, but. What I realized at that time is that I think it was something crazy, like 60 or 70% of Fortune 50 CEOs in this country had a elect, uh, an engineering undergrad with an MBA combination. And back yeah. then, my my dream was to be a Fortune 50 CEO. Fast forward a few years, I job hopped quite a bit. I started a company called Campus Libre really early on with a group of friends that ended up falling apart. Um, I started an inside sales team for a company called Cognex, eventually got promoted to outside sales engineering. But before that, I worked for several different companies. So Sensata Technologies, Oz Development. I went to LA for a time. I did a lot of soul searching. Eventually I landed at Cognex. And I remember I used to refer to it as playing in the major leagues because that's a very, very next level company in industrial automation. And so, long story long, here, I used to go into manufacturing facilities and mm-hmm. I would basically, Frito-Lay was one of my big customers, for example. And I would okay. see these pictures on the walls of the 70s, 80s, and 90s of all of these factory workers. And we okay. sold machine vision equipment. For those of you who don't know what machine vision equipment is, we sold cameras with software that would make sure, imagine you have 100 water bottles going down a line, we would make sure the cap was on every one of them correctly, and we would it would measure, right? So I would see automation, Increasing at an exponential rate. And I would see automation really taking service jobs away. And so the better I did, the less jobs there were for other people. This is nothing against automation. This is nothing against Cognex, but it did kind of eat at me a little bit. And so fast forward a few years, and it's 2016. I'm up in New Hampshire with my little cousin. I'm doing very well financially at this point because I'm in technical sales. Automation's growing. Cognix is growing. I'm doing really well there. Life is good, right? Quote, unquote. I'm with my little cousin. We're going to TGI Fridays on, I think, a Friday night. And it's a really cold, dark winter. I come to this intersection. I think the road stays right. It actually stays left. I was supposed to yield, but there was no yield sign. I didn't yield. I look down at the GPS. I look up and I see... The brightest lights I'd ever seen. Now, again, circle back to the beginning of the story. My father passed away in a car accident when he was 28 years old. I'm 26 at this time. And I honestly thought that this was it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Scariest moment of my life to this day. Um, and after that, so fortunately, I'm driving a 2004 Volkswagen Passat which was, I used to call it a steel trap. It's like a tank. I used to call it the tank actually. (laughs) And uh, I paid off all my school debt and I was driving a cheap car, even though I was making a lot of money because I wanted to pay off all that school debt. And I had a lot of investments in Vanguard and things like that. So again, long story long, I'm sitting in an armchair drinking whiskey, just contemplating my life at this point. And I now in my speeches and on podcasts, I often say this one quote, which is, You can't see the stars during the day. They're always there, but sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that which you simply could not within the light. So what do I mean by that? When you're in emotional pain, I believe we all have a choice. And that's the theme here, choice. You can either escape into a vice or develop a virtue. And when you are in emotional pain, I'm so convinced of this. As long as you sit with it long enough, you're going to see something you never saw before. You're going to meet someone you wouldn't have met otherwise. You're going to find a book you wouldn't have found. So for me, I found a book by Bronnie Ware. She's an Australian. She wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. To this moment, I have a flashcard in my pocket with all five regrets. And I actually have a journaling habit now where I reverse engineer regret every day. I rate myself from zero to 10 on each of these regrets and then take corrective action each day. And so that was the thing. I was in deep emotional pain, not because of anything other than the fact that I just had a lot of regret. Like, what if that was it? And remember, I have a really deep emotional connection with dying from a young age because my dad died at 28. So I really, really sat with that for a while. So we've since interviewed Bronnie Ware and the number one regret of the dying, she worked with the terminally ill for eight years and she saw these same common patterns over and over and over again. And the number one regret of the dying is I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. So I kind of realized in that moment that I had kind of always done what I thought I should do based on maybe what society deemed successful, right? But I never really looked inside at what I'm here for. What is my purpose? And so to me, I think, and this is kind of where I'll wrap up, is basically, you're going to ask yourself two main questions at the end of your life, like I did, or at least two forms of these two questions. Number one, this is the question I ask myself. Number one, how courageously Did I fight for what I believe in? Mm -hmm. And then, number two, how fiercely and openly did I love? At the end of the day, I believe those two things are going to be what matters most. And what's interesting is that the second regret of the dying is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And you know how I said I interviewed her, which was really cool because it didn't happen until four years later, five years later. It was episode 180 or something like that. And I was such a fanboy because she's just one of my heroes. And I asked her, I said, I'm pretty sure number two is because of number one. Because I told her, I said, I love hard work now, but that's because I believe I'm living a life true to myself. So if you are out there and you are living a life true to yourself, I am convinced that you will actually fall in love with your work. And so that's kind of my story.
0: Yeah, that's a, uh, that, that's that's a great story. And uh, there are a lot of uh, good lessons. Also that reference to the, that book of the, uh, the Australian nurse or, uh, I also had to, uh, I also read that book many years ago. I read that book in, uh, in French with the, the five regrets of the, of the dying. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's amazing that you, you stay with, uh, with a flashcard with all those regrets and you rate yourself. So you're really, um, you, you are uh, commit, you have committed to something. And you uh, and you're accountable to uh, to yourself. Are you? Do you? Are you the only one that um, that has those those flashcards, or or your partner also has the same flashcards?
1: You mean my partner on the podcast, or
0: your partner on the podcast? Yes. So yes.
1: so I'm the only one who has has those flashcards. Uh, he okay. and I uh, came together about two years after this car accident. So I had okay. my own podcast called Conversations Change Lives, and my mm-hmm. tagline, my slogan was basically what you'll never learn in school, but desperately need to know. And he had a (laughs) podcast called the hyperconscious podcast. And for a while we kind of met together and had these deep conversations about things that matter with people who care. And we just realized like, let's partner up, let's do this thing. And I love hyperconscious. Hyperconscious means being acutely aware. And I think that that's the key. That's, if you want to live a life that's intentional and on your own terms, you have to be acutely aware, not only of yourself, but of how the world works. And that's really that's really what I want to do, not only on the show, but in general. It's like really, it, number one, inject belief into others to believe in their own brighter future so that they'll invest in themselves. And then number two is raise their awareness on how to actually achieve those things.
0: Yeah, 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 amazing. And um, one thing, because the, the audience will not see it, but I I have... I'm amazed by the by how many uh, work experiences you already have because to me you look very young. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> honestly, I think you are under thirty, but I, I don't know if it's the case. No, but, no, so I'm thirty-one. I
1: just I'm still hoping to hit okay.
0: thirty here. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Obviously, you have a lot of uh, a lot of different experiences, sure. and um, you you had your um uh, your your degree in f- with uh, finance and finance and math. Then you you uh, you were conscious, self-conscious about self aware about your uh, real strength which are all, with, all about communication and i assume this is what you are uh, spending most of your time uh, uh doing uh right now and right now uh you have you define yourself as a peak performance coach uh so can you uh, can you explain elaborate uh, on that on what you do today
1: absolutely absolutely fire question so peak performance to me is a combination of two primary things Number one is increasing your own value in terms of your skill sets, your utility. And then number two, making sure you're showcasing, aka communicating, that value to the right people. And so it's kind of this uh, compilation of personal development, which is working on yourself, and then professional development, which is making sure you're utilizing your skill sets, your mastery, your utility in a marketplace. And so I see Mm -hmm. it as this interesting peak performance to me is what are you uniquely suited to serve the world with? And then who are you uniquely suited to serve? How do you communicate directly to them to solve their challenges, make money doing that, and then reinvest that money into your own innovation? either a product or a service, your own personal development, and then also invest in better marketing to find even more of those people. And to me, I think business and life is about the service of something greater than yourself. And I think that the key is to get clear on what you're uniquely suited to do. Um, There's this great Jim Carrey quote that you probably heard. He says, I can tell you from experience that the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. And I'll tell you what, that is what I found to be true when I thought I was going to die in that car accident, you know, and and when you know that you never really forget it. There's a difference between knowing something and then like deeply emotionalizing it between my father passing away and then me nearly passing away in a car accident. I'll tell you what, I went all in on my dreams and I never looked back. And those dreams are, yes, I want to be profitable, but I want to be profitable at the service of others. The service. Yes.
0: Yes. Um and I think the the second part of your of your answer is so important. So increasing increasing your value uh, through your skill set is something that a lot of professionals and professionals in the audience do. So uh, we have uh freelancers, we have uh, small business uh, uh consultants, we have uh professionals that are in uh, in technology, in uh, business process management, etc. They do acquire those added can I say certifications or uh, added experiences that increase their value? But then there is the other part, as you say, is showcasing it. How how will you communicate and how can you showcase your value, without kind of uh, bragging, uh, without um, being afraid of uh, making mistakes? Because these are the type of the typical types of fears of uh, professionals uh, today.
1: Uh, such a fair question. So, the first part I think comes down to understanding where you are excellent and then where you're not. And I think that's also predicated on having clarity on what you want to be excellent at. So the first question I would pose to your listeners is a question that I pose to my clients, to myself, to my audiences. When I speak, if, a, if you could rub a lamp and a genie popped out and said, you could be the best in the world at any three skills, what would those be? And what's interesting is you hear people's answers because that's not a common question. Therefore, you don't get common answers. For me, it's going to be, number one, public speaking, podcasting, and educating. In other words, raising the awareness of other people. You can call that inspiring, motivating, educating, a lot of different Mm -hmm. things. But it's basically capturing someone's heart and elevating their mind. That's what it comes down to. Okay, number one. Number two, natural fitness. I'm obsessed with fitness, all the leverage points, being as in shape and capable as possible. Number three, leadership. So leadership to me is influence and communication is a huge part of that. But I, I think of leadership as positive influence. What is the effect that I'm having on others through my own actions, thoughts, feelings, beliefs? And so the first question I would pose is what do you want to be great at? Choose in advance to be excellent at it. And I'll give you a a quick formula. I'm a math guy, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are too. Brian Tracy came up with a formula that was super fascinating. He called it the continuous improvement formula. And I've crunched the numbers on this, and he did this first, so this is all his. But if you improve by one-tenth of 1% every weekday for 10 years, that compounds to 26% each year, Which compounds to one thousand percent. So when I ask the genie question, it gets them out of the box of like, what's really possible in this decade? And then I explain from a practical standpoint, like how easy would it be to get one tenth of one percent better at playing the piano every weekday? You can take weekends off. I, I still don't, and I don't. I don't necessarily recommend that either because my favorite book of all time, I have it right here. It's called The Compound Effect. Have you ever read it?
0: No, not yet. It's Darren Hardy, right? Yes,
1: exactly. So Darren Hardy, so (laughs) I always say this to people and he doesn't pay me to promote this book. I've never actually met Darren Hardy in person, but he's just a huge hero of mine. And Mm -hmm. I often say, if someone came up to me and said, I want to be successful, Alan, what's one book you would recommend? I would just slide that book across the table and just like, okay, there's the truth. Whether or not you do it (laughs) is up to you Um, because I just think it's the fundamentals, right? Whether it's fitness or business. And that's the interesting thing about being a consultant, being a coach, and you find this as well, and being a podcaster as well. So we just surpassed 350 episodes. When you interview hundreds of people that are ridiculously successful, you find Mm -hmm. common patterns that lead to success. And you also find common bottlenecks. That's not only true for fitness, but also business. I used to do fitness coaching a lot too. So to me, there's certain fundamentals that, I think the biggest bottleneck to all of our long-term success is not narrowing our circle of concern to the things that matter most. We major in minor things to get back to your original question about how to communicate your effectiveness to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Number one, you got to know what you're great at. Number two, you have to have the courage to actually communicate that, but you have to be humble to know where you're not great. And so We have this interesting concept that we just did a mastermind on Monday night and it's called the drive to five. On one end of the drive to five, you have tons of self-doubt, you lack self-confidence, you lack self-belief. On the opposite end of drive to five, so picture those as the zeros and there's no right or wrong number here, but the tens are basically, they have so much belief that they don't even think they need to take action. So on one end, you have arrogance, on one end, you have self-doubt. A drive to five is being confident, but also humble. And the way I explain this is very simple, which is basically like zeros on the drive to five don't believe that they deserve a mentor. Tens don't believe they need one. And they're both wrong. You do deserve a mentor and you do need one. And, and that's the interesting thing. So I think it's this balance of understanding your value, communicating your value congruently because you believe it, but also understanding where you're really not the expert and then having the humility to be the student.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you're you're yourself uh, a mentor for uh, for a business owner or non-business owners uh, as well and you just, you also have mentors. I assume. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. C- can you maybe yeah can, right. can you maybe uh first elaborate on the mentors that you have and then uh the men- the
1: mentorship that you provide. Absolutely. So I think this is interesting. So I have this concept that I call the vortex of influence. Um, and we we have this framework that we use called the five buckets. It's very simple. I can go through each. Um, the bucket picture for your listeners on the far left, you've got the nostalgia bucket. These are people that you grew up with as a kid or maybe high school, middle school, that kind of stuff. Then mm-hmm. next you have the maintenance bucket. And that's people that are college friends or colleagues or whatever. But maybe you don't share core values or mutual goals. Then in the middle of this sort of pendulum here, you've got the mentee bucket. These are people that maybe you're on chapter 12 in, let's say basketball. Let's say you're, you've are you been playing basketball for 12 years and you're helping someone else get better at basketball because they're only four years into their journey. Okay, They're your mentee. In other words, you've mastered this arena more than them. You've got more reps. You're the teacher. Then you've got the growth bucket. The growth bucket is your peak performance partners. So you know, these are the people that you pitch and catch with. You're both kind of on the same level. You go to the gym together, you mastermind together, you're reading the same books, that kind of thing. Then you've got the mentor bucket, which we call the wisdom bucket. These are people that are 10, 20, 30 years ahead of you. So one of my main mentors, he uh, was the CEO of multiple billion dollar tech companies. This is a close, close friend of mine. And I often say like, I take him to lunch and I treat. And it's like, well, he's rich. Why would you do that? Because I learn more in those two hours than I ever did in school. Yeah. And I asked him questions like one I'll give you one example. What's the toughest part of running a billion dollar tech company? And he said short-term profitability with long-term vision. The balance between those is so challenging. And I think that's the biggest struggle in our own lives too. How do I make short-term decisions that are profitable now to reinvest that money in myself and others, but also have a long-term vision? You know, yeah. it's like if you're making all your decisions only for today, that's not a good thing. But if you're making all of your decisions only for the decade, that's also not a good thing. So you have to integrate those two. Some people are like, be fully present, never think about the future. Not a good idea. Other people only think about the future, never enjoy the present. Also not a good idea, right? (laughs) And then you've got the Steve Jobs thing at the end of his life saying, I wish I had done things differently. He was very future oriented. To me, we're all righty or lefty. Okay, some of us are more emotional driven, emotionally driven. Other people are more results driven. We Mm -hmm. all have a natural tendency. The key is don't mitigate. Like you got to get around people that are lefty if that's your weakness. But the problem is, is like attracts like. So we're just, if you're very future oriented, for example, and you're big into business, you probably attract business owners. Mm -hmm. But there are other people that are more present, more spiritual, more emotional that you could probably learn a lot from. And then vice versa is the same deal. So to me, are you righty or lefty? That's okay. There's no right or wrong. Are you surrounding yourself with people with complementary skill sets? And so, to go back to your original question of what I learn from my mentors, what I teach my mentees, I think you got to start with the end in mind. I have one mentor in particular. He's written 20 books. He's 70 years old, just turned 70. He's been an author, he's been a father. He's been a husband, he's been a theologian. He's been uh, CEO of financial soft, uh, CFO. I'm sorry, of a software company in the '90s. He's traveled the world five times. like if you're out there listening right now, you've got to get around somebody like that. Uh, his name's <laughs> Dr. Robert God. Scott. He's just incredibly prolific. He's done it all, and he's got a bird's eye view of life. He's seen many generations come behind him. And the questions I get to ask him and the curiosity I have, it just gives you another perspective. Now, I take that wisdom, I try to apply it in my own life, and then I try to teach it to my clients in my own unique way. And I think that's the key. And that's sort of this vortex of influence.
0: Ah, that's a, that, that's a great framework that you have, uh, that you have just explained, because I think we all have those, uh, those five buckets, we are just not aware uh, of it. And maybe we don't uh, communicate, because to all those buckets, we have to communicate a certain way, and maybe even at a certain frequency. And uh, we are not aware of uh, of that. So uh, that, that's amazing. I think uh, I, I'm telling the listeners, because now we are listening to all those advice, all those advice for free. I mean, this is, this is really good value that uh, we, are, uh, we, are, we are getting there, honestly. Um, yep. So, uh, Alan, um, right now we are in uh, mid-May 2020 and uh, we are living a pandemic uh, across the globe. So uh, how does the, the fact that the economy has slowed down or has, uh, completely, is completely stopping some industries, how, how does that impact your current client and uh, your prospective client and how do you react uh, against
1: that? So there's a lot of different ways that I could answer that. But I think what's interesting is innovation happens in times of challenge. And a lot of my clients, I'm very fortunate enough to, number one, have a business that's built around, number one, helping my business owner clients and even my personal and professional development clients master their numbers and scale their impact online. And that's why I specifically say online. And let me just take your listeners through that briefly so that I can provide context to this answer. So each one of my clients has a peak performance spreadsheet where they do what's referred to as their daily dozen. In in other words, what are the 20% of your daily activities that are responsible for 80% of your results? And how clear are you on what those leverage points are and how often do you do them? And so my coaching is very much three things. Number one, get absolutely clear on what you want for your future and why. Number two, create a system of success uniquely designed on only the top leverage points. Number three, keep you focused and accountable on doing just those things and track it, okay? So that said, I've been very blessed to be in a place where when this quarantine and this pandemic happened, some businesses became way more valuable. One great example would be Squadcast or Zoom, okay? So Zoom... (laughs) Overnight got 10 times more valuable. Why? Because in person meetings don't happen anymore, right? They actually increased their price from 120, their base price from 120 to 180 when that happened. Um, uh, weights. So, Boflex has these weights, these dumbbells from five to 52 that are like interchangeable. You can't get them anywhere, right? Supply and demand has really changed. So, some people are actually in a better position. And other people are in a far worse position. And so I talked to my business partner. I talked to my girlfriend. And to me, I just saw so much suffering. And so I was like, you know what? What can I do to add more value, not only to my current clients, but to really go serve at a greater level? And so what do my clients go through? Number one, if you're a business owner and you haven't maximized your systems online, Like If you don't have a great website, if you haven't been doing social media for the last 5 to 10 years, like it's going to be really hard to build all those habits and systems now. So if you have cash flow, which a lot of people don't right now, you can invest in people that have already mastered those arenas. And there's a lot of marketing agencies and stuff that can help you with that. But I would say this. I have one client that I'll use as a case study here, and I won't use any names, but she runs a physical therapy clinic down in Florida. Now... Her business was booming for the last seven years. We've been dialing in her numbers, digging deep into the finances. But she was winning because she's incredible at what she does, not because she's great at sales and marketing. And so I'll give your listeners a really tangible example of how all difficulty is actually a good thing if you leverage it. So with her in particular, her business plummeted because she had to close and she had to start doing virtual personal uh, uh, physical therapy. Okay. Okay. She got approved to take Medicare for telehealth, number one. She now put in marketing and sales systems in place and KPIs for her entire team on what they're doing in social media. She dialed in how to outreach to the right people. She has prospect lists of warm, hot, and and cold. She's now... She has been forced to really tackle and master marketing and sales because she can't just win with great service. And so... I told her, and I was on the phone with her earlier today uh, on our coaching call, not only have I trained her entire team, but I told her, I said, listen, you are going to be so much better off this decade now because what you were forced to master during this difficult time, I often say this, and this is for your listeners. If you can find a way to survive and kind of thrive when it's really hard, you're going to crush it when things are really good. And so yeah. one more last piece to your question is, honestly, for the last decade or so, it has been what's referred to as an employer's market, uh, employee's market. I'm sorry, an employee's market. In other words, if you were an employee, you could job hop, you kind of had job security because businesses need needed talent and had a lot of cash flow. Now, businesses do not have cash flow nearly as much so you have to find a way to become way more marketable and i can tell you from experience that every business owner right now is doing three things and then i'll sort of get off the soapbox here number 1 they're they're cutting expenses anything inessential they're getting rid of in terms yeah. of expenses not only in their personal life but in their business and by the way the number one expense of all businesses most businesses is human resources so you got to be very marketable okay number 2 they're they're doubling down on current business growth so wherever their revenue was coming They're finding that the 20% of their customers that matter most and focusing all their service there. And then number three, new business opportunities. I call them NBOs. So they're finding new ways to make more money. But here's the interesting thing. The way in which they make that money is different and therefore requires different skill sets. If every business owner on the globe right now is trying to do more with less, it is very important for employees to step up and become very marketable. Yeah. And yeah. if I can extend one more olive branch, number one, figure out where your value is based on what business owners need now and will need in the future. Double down on those skill sets and then get really good at showcasing it, whether it's on LinkedIn, social media, monster.com, you name it, but put yourself out there.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. And uh, yeah, and that's uh, that's something that is uh, very, that will be... Um... Uh, it's already in demand right now and it will be even more uh, in the next decade and that's something very important for uh, for the listeners uh, as well you have you have uh, alluded to that a little bit during our conversation. Uh, you have a, a podcast which is a hyper hyper conscious podcast. Uh, can you uh, elaborate a bit you? I know that you mentioned it a, a little bit uh, and uh, you're also in partnership in that uh, in that podcast.
1: Yes, yeah, so me and Kevin Palmieri started a podcast called the Hyperconscious Podcast. We just surpassed 350 episodes, which is super exciting, and no, we're actually doing five a week now, which is a uh, a lot of momentum. Yeah, you know, as a podcaster, how much work oh, that man. takes. Yeah, so he's a workhorse, and so am I. So, so we're very, very grateful for each other. But here's what I will say: hyperconscious means acutely aware. In other words. Once you understand why something is the way that it is, now you have the power to change it. Rather than just some phrase, let me give you a tangible example. If you find yourself having an aversion to business, okay, once you become aware of the fact that you're afraid of business, now you can actually consciously do something about it. So we will all have an aversion to that which we don't know. And that's why it's a main focus to increase people's understanding and lower the intimidation factor. So for example, right now, if I said the word ETF, if you don't know personal finance and investing, you don't know what an ETF is. If I explain it in a very simple way where you actually understand it, you're going to not have an aversion to it. And maybe you'll make a lot of money in the stock market one day because now you're not afraid of ETFs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a perfect example. To me, We all have an aversion to that which we don't understand because we always fear that which we don't understand. So seek understanding and get around people who are good at communicating things in a simple way and you're going to find your life elevate tremendously. And so that's what the hyperconscious podcast is about. We take concepts that are really difficult, try to make them as simple as possible And bring tangible examples to the table to where we lower the intimidation factor. We get you to take small actions at first. And then that snowballs into a more magnificent life. I remember my girlfriend asked me, what's the thing you're most proud of about the Hyperconscious Podcast? And I will say this, and this is an interesting, she asked great questions. I said, we have 300 episodes. This was back when we only had 300. And every single one of them is how to be a better person. Yeah. It's all personal development. We don't talk about the weather. We don't talk about sports. We talk about how to become a better person.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, you were talking about the compound effect uh, uh, earlier and uh, having 300 conversations about how to be a better person. As a result, you become a better person. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So uh, we, we had a really wonderful conversation. Uh, I think that the audience will uh, uh, get out a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things uh, uh, about it. So uh, I have one last question, uh, one last question, uh, because we are on the Consulting Lifestyle podcast. Uh, I would like to know for you, Alan, uh, what does having a consulting lifestyle mean?
1: To me, having a consulting lifestyle is, and I, I really, really like this question. It's, I get to, everybody works in their life, But not everybody works on their life. There's a big difference. Okay. One of them is taking a bird's eye view of your life. Okay. Health, wealth, love, where am I investing my time, energy, money? Right. I get to look at a 10,000 foot view outside the frame to really help you dial in the bottlenecks and the kinks in your hose of your own impact, your own profitability, your own happiness and fulfillment and joy. And that's my favorite part about a consulting lifestyle is that I get to literally help people change their life for a living and it's gotta it's to me it's the most fulfilling thing in the world like yeah i could do this all day every day and that's why i even told my girlfriend recently like i don't want to take any days off i i love what i do now that doesn't mean i can't you know especially when we have kids and stuff but like i kind of don't want to i do want to work every day but that's because i love my work it's so fulfilling so the best part about a consulting lifestyle is that you literally help people improve the quality of their life for a living. Because even if you're consulting in businesses from business to business, I know a lot of your listeners are, their business is the lifeblood of their mission and their business is the lifeblood of their family's well-being. And, and, and you know, to me that you're having a real impact. And I think that making money, having a real tangible effect on others is, is just the most fulfilling thing in the world
0: yeah that's uh that's great that's great and uh, it comes back to the thing that you said also with the five regrets you live a life true to yourself and then uh, you don't regret working more because you're not you're working on what you are so uh, that's uh you don't feel any uh, the need to have any uh, any day off uh, sorry, as we can uh, say it traditionally so uh thank you very much so where, where can people uh, uh find you because i'm sure i'm sure some listeners will want to know more
1: <laughs> i really appreciate that thank you so much so you can find me. I, I call it the Big Six. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Snapchat. Um, the best place to reach me would be on Instagram. My handle is at a Lazarus eighty eight. That's a l a z a r o s eight eight, and you mm-hmm. can reach out anytime between me and my assistant, we always check our DMs. We're always looking to help more people. And here's the interesting thing. If I can't help you because I try to narrow my circle of concern, again, if you want to grow your business, if you want to grow your personal and professional life, if you want to start a podcast, that kind of thing, I've got you all day. If it's outside of my realm of expertise, that's okay. I know a lot of people. Maybe I'll put you in touch with the right people. I think having the courage to ask for help is one of the most humbling and beautiful experiences. And if you need help, I'm happy to help. Uh, Just reach out.
0: Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much. So all of this will be written in the in the show notes. So thank you again, Alan. It was a wonderful conversation. And uh, for sure, let's try to have uh, another one soon.
1: I would love that. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes if you have enjoyed the episode and subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified to hear other episodes with your host Diogène Tirandekoura.